Welcome back, everybody. This is episode 20 of The Lift. I'm Linda LeBlanc. And I'm Tyra Sellers. And we're going to be reviewing the material that's covered in month three of our workbook pair. So when you get to this um, chapter of the workbook, you're now in the third month of consultation. So you are one fourth of the way through consultation. This is the point at which you want a great foundation to already be in effect. The relationship should be strong. The new supervisor should start doing with their trainees and supervisees many of the things that you've been doing with them. So they should be taking those same great strategies that you're using to build the relationship with them and using it to build the relationship with their um, trainees. Similarly, they should be following your lead on how to develop great agendas and using agendas for all of their both direct observation and office meetings with their trainees. And they should be working on developing a curricular roadmap. And that's really going to be a focus of this chapter. So in the prior month, you kind of picked topics for the curricular roadmap for the new supervisor, but now the new supervisor needs to be working to apply that same idea with their trainees. So this month is really about transitioning some responsibilities and setting that new supervisor up to be able to really push through um, a great list of things that they're going to be working on with that, uh, with their trainees. So um, from the perspective of the consulting supervisor, you've got several goals. You want to make sure that that new supervisor is fully comfortable giving feedback, talking about feedback, soliciting feedback from their trainees. That, um, that's been covered. They've developed scripts in the earlier months. And now you just want to make sure that they're continuing to do it. Um, getting organized it can't be a one-time thing and getting feedback cannot be a one-time thing. You want to, you know, remind them to set up systems to do this very regularly. Um, A second thing that you want to work on as the consulting supervisor is transitioning the agenda preparation to the new supervisor. That is that the new supervisor is going to take over making the agendas for the consultation meeting, generally using that roadmap that you built in the last month, but also adding in several of their topics, which we've helped them with in their workbook. And they also are going to prepare to make that same transition with their trainees. That is, the trainees are going to start building the agendas for their fieldwork supervision meetings. And the new supervisor is going to start building the agendas for the consultation meetings. So in a BST approach, you've given instructions, you've modeled Now you're going to allow rehearsal and feedback, 
and the new supervisor should be doing that same process with their trainees. So those three big goal. Oh, I'm sorry. That was just two, but there's a third big goal. And that is helping the new supervisor refine their roadmap of competencies for their trainees. So that's plenty to cover. And um, from the consulting supervisor perspective, if you can get those three things from firmly underway, you're really making a big impact with that new supervisor. And you're setting them up to probably have more help and guidance than you ever had, (laughs) Um, you know, and as you supervised um, people for field work, and it should set up the new supervisor and their trainees for success as well. Yeah, I really love that heavy focus on talking about feedback and preparing to talk about feedback right from the get-go. Because as you said, Linda, the, the, the getting ready, the pre-meeting, the first couple of months, that's really about developing a strong foundation quickly because you don't have a long time with your consulting supervisor as a new uh, a newly minted um, person providing supervision. And you don't really have that much time with your trainees. So you know, you can start talking about feedback at any point in a relationship, but it sure is easier if you do that right out of the gate. So I really appreciate that strong foundation and your reminder, like, okay, consulting supervisor, you've laid this foundation, but now it's kind of up to you to continue modeling, checking in to get feedback from your new supervisor, asking them, are you continuing to ask for feedback? Are you talking about feedback? Are you giving feedback? Um, Because you're right, it can't just be a build the foundation and then move on. Like you have to keep coming back to that. So, you know, the new supervisor um, has two sets of areas that they're focusing on. One is maximizing their time with their consulting supervisor for their own professional development. And then the other is maximizing their time with their consulting supervisor and their trainees for the development of their trainees. So always every month, the new supervisor is gonna kind of review with their consulting supervisor how things went with their trainees in the previous month, um, both in any meetings, in observations, what went well, what didn't well, and what, what didn't go well. And that um, is facilitated by those end of month reflection activities. Now, another thing that you'll be doing new supervisor with your consulting supervisor is continuing to develop the goals that you have for yourself and all of those topics that you're going to be addressing both for yourself and for the benefit of your trainees in months four through six. So you already got the ball rolling on that, but you again, want to keep touching base. You may have discovered something in your month two interactions with your trainees that might have identified an area of deficit or concern, or maybe resulted in you wanting to talk through whether you should reprioritize the order of those topics with your consulting supervisor. And this is a great month to do that because you haven't yet gotten started. I love Um, the fact that the prompt is in there repeatedly to, to be okay with being flexible if you need to change your priorities for the month, because when things makes it make us anxious, such as, 
um, practicing or are engaging in this kind of a supervisory relationship for the first time, we tend to get a little rigid and like <laughs> not a little inflexible with that change. So that notion of just double check whether you might need to change anything or whether you're good to go with this plan really, I think kind of can take some of the sting out of it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, I think another reason that sometimes we get inflexible is that it's more time efficient to kind of have a set plan and just run with that plan. Um, I imagine, let's say a consulting supervisor that has four or five new supervisors they're working with, certainly kind of a cookie cutter approach is going to be easier. But as behavior analysts, we don't do what's easy. We do what's effective. And we know from our programming with clients that cookie cutter type approaches are not effective. Sure, have a framework, but then it needs to be individualized and constantly reviewed for, is it efficient? Uh, Is there social validity? And what do we need to tweak to get where we want to go? So I I just know for me personally, that's a no brainer when it comes to client programming, but I frequently would forget to generalize that to my activities in supervisory practices. Um, so it, it's a good reminder, right? That we <laughs> we need to be data-driven um, and that we need to be engaging in activities that are meaningful for, um, for the recipient. And in this case, that's the new supervisor for the consulting supervisor and the trainees for the new supervisor. So mm-hmm. now um, you're gonna prep some things to work on with your consulting supervisor that are more related to your trainee. So I'm gonna talk about those in the second chunk where we talk about what the new supervisor needs to do to focus on their trainees. So as you mentioned, Linda, um, the new supervisor needs to be thinking about like, oh snap, my consulting supervisor told me that I need to start taking over the agenda for my meetings with them. Um, And your your consulting supervisor would have kind of walked you through that. You will know what's expected. You will have seen a model of, you know, hopefully an effective agenda. Um, and now you just have to kind of take a deep breath and start engaging in some behavior so that your consulting supervisor can shape it up if needed. This, I think this model is so great because it reminds the new supervisor of sort of what their trainees are going through. Sometimes we forget what it was like to be a trainee, to be asked to do something brand new that's hard, that's scary, you know, where there's the risk of not getting it quite right. And because you're being evaluated, like every moment under the microscope. Kind of. Yeah. I think that, I think it feels that way. So yeah. So I think that this activity could feel that way a little bit, especially if you are someone who doesn't have a lot of experience with agendas. So if you know that you are that kind of person, you need to tap that for your consulting supervisor. Like, Listen, new supervisors, your consulting supervisor is there for your benefit, but they they don't know everything that's going on for you. You have to share that. So if you struggle with agendas, if it's something you dislike or you're nervous about, you have to say that so that they can adjust to whatever degree the plan that we've laid out in the workbooks. Because certainly if someone has huge anxiety about this, their consulting supervisor could choose to kind of dial it back a little and say, great, you know what, Linda, thank you for sharing that with me. I totally a slow it. roll it. Yeah. Instead of you taking the whole thing over, let's give you a section. Which section would you like to own? 
Um, and in fact, that's kind of the approach that we suggest that the new supervisor take when they start to give their trainees some um, responsibilities around the agenda. So again, just that reminder, like Linda and I did our best, everybody, to give you all a framework that can work, but you have to be behavior analytic in its application and tweak it where needed. Some stuff might work perfectly the way it's outlined. Some stuff might not work at all. Some stuff might not be, might need to be modified, right? So just know that you have our blessings for sure to, to um, make the activities relevant for folks. Absolutely. So, so there's that piece around agendas. And I wonder, Linda, do you have anything to add? Because you sort of are, in my mind, the queen of a well-organized, effective agenda. Well, I'll be co-consort or something like that with Melissa Nosick on that, but I do think, um, I do think that like agendas make a tremendous difference, not only because they prompt you to plan, um, but you also, when you're thinking about an agenda, you also have to kind of figure out, you have to make choices, Yes. right? I only have so much time. What do I really need to prioritize? So for me, your agenda is so useful before you get into it. Then once you're into it, you might need to modify. You might need to be flexible. Like you can only control, let's say the topic you're going to talk about. If you're asking questions about how is X, Y, and Z going, you can't <laughs> control what the answers are or how long it might take to sure. work on that with the trainee. So I guess, you know, I would just say planning always helps, but planning should never tie your hands yeah. such that you feel like you cannot take the time to help that new supervisor and to explore the things that they need. Yep. Um, so the more you have planned in advance, I think the, the smarter you can be about your adjustments and flexibility by deciding, are we going to go 15 minutes longer? If we can't do that, which one might we drop off? So that's the other part that I always like to advocate plan but don't be too rigid. And to be honest with you, um, over time, as people start to work together and, and regularly have agendas, you can sometimes be just as effective without the written estimated agenda. Sure. It's you've kind of developed your rhythm, develop your strategies, you know each other's behavior. And so it could be by month eight, you don't need that super planned agenda, but in the beginning, that's what helps you learn each other's behavior. And it's also what helps you teach the power of planning. Yes. And sort of time management and prioritization. And I don't, I want to make sure this point that you made isn't lost on listeners, um, I heard you say, you know, you may need to be flexible. And so you may have to make a decision like, you know what, this is an important topic. I think if we keep going, which we should, we might have to bump something. What I want to clarify is I think what you're saying is whether or not that is the consulting supervisor or the new supervisor with their trainee, you should be tacting that for the other person, right? You don't just make the decision and, and take something off. You say, we've got these three things left. 
which one do you think is, you know, could wait until our next meeting or, you know, maybe it could be an email or something like that. Um, yeah. Or even suggesting one. It seems yeah. to me like this one could wait. And I think that's right. And, and that comes from the perspective of you're not just doing your teaching yes. and right. both people in their respective roles have got to stay within that framework. My job isn't just to change your behavior. It's also to teach you how to change behavior. My job isn't just to run this agenda. Right. It's to teach you how to make responsible, effective choices about modifying agendas as needed. Yep. I love that. Um, and listen, new supervisors, if you are a little bit anxious or a lot bit anxious about <laughs> taking over the agenda for your consulting supervisor, I really like to use um, easily discriminated stimuli to help set expectations. So I will let you in on a little tip that I use when I'm really nervous. Like, let's say Linda and I are working together collaboratively on a writing project and I'm a little nervous about what I sent her. I will write draft in the title name of the document. I will write it at the top of the document because it just helps ease my mind a little that I am clearly signaling. I do not, I am not saying this is finished. It's perfect. I'm actually really soliciting feedback because that's what a draft is, right? So if you're a little bit worried about it, you can put draft at the top of your agenda to maybe help with some of those feelings. Yep. And even send in that email, Hey, this is a starter draft, yep. you know, not there yet, but hopefully we're starting on the right path. Uh, I think that's great. That's really kind of how professionals who collaborate together um, set each other up for successful interactions. Yeah. And you might even say in your email, here's the draft and I'm looking forward to your feedback to make it better. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, yes. should we talk a little bit about um, self-assessment and other assessment and comparison? We talked about that last time a little bit because the, the consulting supervisor was looking at the new supervisor self-assessment and road mapping their curriculum. But now it's the new supervisor's turn. So we revisit the same topic. Yes. So, you know, the, the new supervisor needs to prep a lot of stuff, a workload reassessment, redo, be prepared to talk about their goals and their skills, prep some feedback stuff that we'll talk about when we start talking about trainees. They're going to talk with their consulting supervisor about, you know, how they're going to talk about culturally responsive and humble practices. Um, and they're going to start talking to their consulting supervisor and prepping to roll out assessments and self-assessments for their trainees. So I think what's important for the new supervisor um, to do is reflect on how that topic was introduced from the consulting supervisor and really think about not only how they're going to introduce it um, but how they're going to talk about the results with their trainees, right? So remember, the consulting supervisor and the new supervisor just have one meeting a month. 
the new supervisor is going to have multiple contacts with their trainees. So it may be that a little bit of, of the things that, you know, we suggested happen at the end of month two or bleeding over into the beginning of month three, and that's fine. But it's very likely that when you ask someone to self-evaluate for the very same things that you also are actively evaluating, there are going to be some disconnects. That's actually what you want. You want those opportunities to discover that because you're not just assessing their skills for, you know, what you're going to work on. You're also assessing their ability to accurately self-assess, which is really critical thing for behavior analysts to be able to do forever and always because we have to continually self-evaluate not broadly our scope of competence only, but also like on the daily, how was that interaction with my supervisee? How was that interaction with that funding agency? How was that IEP meeting? We should constantly be doing that. So I agreed. Think we talk and a little bit about that. And doing that ought to inform your ongoing professional development plan. That yep. is, you know, CEs aren't just the stuff you enter into the portal, they're the opportunities that you seek out that help you learn a little bit more and stay up to date with our evolving profession and science. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, there are, there are three possible outcomes from, um, you know, a self-assessment and, and a, a more objective assessment. One, the two individuals could agree. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And that's cool. Um, Two, the self-assessor could have rated themselves higher, um, or three, the self-assessor could have rated themselves lower. And I think all of those should be tacted and discussed. So even if you have a match, don't miss an opportunity to say, you know, Linda, it's really interesting that you rated yourself XYZ on these skills. That's exactly where I kind of rate you based on the things that I've been able to observe. Um, and so that's really, that's really good IOA. That's yeah, that's very good IOA. Um, and then it's an opportunity to, to talk about like, you know, okay, so where do we see moving these skills? Even if you both rated them high, there's always still opportunity for improvement. Um, so that is the easiest one because really all you're concerned with is then how do you maximize using or building those skills? Um, the trickier situation is when you have those disconnects in either way, because likely there's some area to improve, not only on the skill, but also you need to talk about like, you know, Linda on this item, I noticed that you rated yourself pretty low. um, And I, from my observations actually would put you quite a bit higher. Let's talk a little bit about that. Like, tell me, I want to learn, like, is it something in your history? Is this a global thing that you rate yourself lower on all similar items? Um, Is it maybe that you are looking at something slightly differently than I am? Um, So, Or even is it that um, part of the way you feel when you're engaging in a behavior influences how well you think it went such that... If you are a little nervous or anxious, you perceive it as less effective, even if outside observers who don't have access 
to your emotional responses, think it went really well. So it's really that exploration of what's controlling your responding when you rate yourself this way or that way. And to be honest with you, that's such an important skill to develop. Yes. And we don't all develop it without purposefully um, trying to develop it with repeated self-reflection and anchoring Mm -hmm. of your perceptions with an outside person. Yeah. So I think those questions sort of like, well, what led you to rate yourself that way? What sorts of things in the environment point to that being an accurate rating? What sorts of things in your own private events may influence or inform that rating? Have you ever gotten feedback from other people indicating, you know, that you perform one way versus another? Um, I think that maybe a more difficult uh, topic is when the person rates themselves high and you don't agree. Um, so we wonder if we can talk a little bit about that. And, you know, I often think of the Dunning-Kruger effect where, you know, there are some data to support this phenomenon that frequently, for many of us, when we are newer to a skill, there is this early on point where we are overconfident. Our confidence Uh, far exceeds our competence and our level of experience. And we need to sort of get enough exemplars and, you know, maybe make enough mistakes and have them gently tacted for us, for us to kind of even out um, our experience and our confidence level. Um, So I wonder, Mm -hmm. Linda, do you have any tips for folks for things that, you know, let's say I'm, I rated myself really, really high on, you know, some task and you are able to observe it and actually you don't agree with my rating. What, what are some things that you might say to kind of start that conversation? Yeah, I think this is the harder one and (laughs) you know, you, you want to be gentle, like, you know, there are these uh, folk sayings like take someone down a peg um, as if that's a good thing. I think adjusting someone's anchor point is a good thing, but just remembering to do it, do it from a compassionate place. And so I'd almost open that conversation similarly of like, what led you to rate it that way? You know, tell me a few things about what, um, what, you know, what you notice about your own behavior. And often, what that might reveal is that they are, they're noticing some accurate mechanics Mm -hmm. and they don't yet realize that although they did the mechanics of some things, right. They might've made a decision that they shouldn't have made or didn't even realize they were making um, such that those weren't even the right mechanics to do. And that's really a higher level skill. So That first question, again, is always about give me some insight into what led you to score it that way. And that can give you the opportunity to potentially agree with them about, you know, you are right. You did do this and this and this really accurately, which is wonderful. I want to point out this other level of thinking about it and kind of introduce it that way. Like, here's another 
part of it to think about or another way that we could consider thinking about it and then kind of describe the parts that might have led you to say, this was okay, but wouldn't it be great if yeah. you could also X, Y, Z, that kind of thing. This is, um, this is one where we have this table in the main supervision book that is speaking about feedback in the don't say this, do say <laughs> this, where, where the do category really is about the right interverbal frames and autoclitics that set up this confident new supervisor to hear what you're saying without their confidence taking a harmful whack. Right. Right. We want to simply point out that how exciting you've still got some areas to improve. And at some point you're even going to be able to do this. Um, And then I always kind of just keep noticing their facial expression. And if it looks like the balloon is deflating, you know, always remind them um, about this is still about learning and it's about getting better and, you know, um, hope they see this as a a change in the way that they're thinking, which is a good thing because that means growth. And so helping to kind of, if you see that balloon deflating a little bit, helping to kind of re-anchor it. And if you see like, okay, my comments just had no impact. You look just (laughs) as confident and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dismissive almost (laughs) of of it. That kind of might lead you to say, you know, it might be worth us checking in again on this a few more times in the future um, so that we come to good consensus Mm -hmm. about these skills. Because at some point, you won't have anybody else that can give you that independent perspective. So now's our opportunity. Yeah. And I think that, 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 you definitely will have to have ongoing conversations if you have someone who globally rates themselves way lower or way higher across everything, because that's sort of a a separate thing that you need to address. Um, I love the point of sort of, you know, soliciting from them what their perspectives are. And often I will discover that they are very solid, to your point, on kind of the doing. And it's an opportunity Um, to sort of say to a trainee, like, absolutely. And remember that your journey now is moving from the doer to becoming a behavior analyst who is more um, focused on the why and the how of the doing. So And the when to do and the when not to do. Yep. And so that's what what we're going to focus on talking about. And that's what I'm kind of rating you on. So Ultimately, in those situations, it's less, it's not so much that there was a rating disconnect, but that each person was rating something different, right? Um, and, and I also think that there's an opportunity to discover, especially if the mechanics also aren't really where they ought to have been, you know, tell me a little bit about the training you received in doing this. Um, because you may find that they are, they believe that they are doing something accurate because they literally were trained to do it 
maybe in an inaccurate or less efficient way. So, um, and really, you know, doing this self-assessment early on provides you a structured way to talk about some of these things that aren't going to be a surprise. You know, it's an activity, it's structured, you have the opportunity to do it slowly if you need to, but this isn't sort of like, oh, hey, I was observing you and I want to tell you some stuff. Like every, both parties are agreeing that, you know, we're looking at skills and we're going to talk about them together. So this is purposefully placed early on to kind of set that stage for continued um, check-ins about all of these things. And I guess I would also, you know, you mentioned that let's say you're globally overconfident or globally underconfident, uh-huh. which we call insecure. <laughs> um, you know, I, people who are moving towards a master's degree, a profession credential, tend to be high achieving people. And Uh, not all of them, but some number of them are going to battle a little bit with high standards, maybe overly high standards for themselves and insecurity. And that's not something that you want to leave unaddressed, whether you're the new supervisor, seeing that with the trainee, or even seeing that and recognizing, wow, I do that too. (laughs) Or whether you're the consulting supervisor, seeing that with the new supervisor, um, you know, it's certainly great to hold yourself to a high standard. Um, A lot of people almost think of that as consistent with integrity. But if not quite meeting that high standard and still doing an amazing job, leads you to self-punish, self-flagellate, criticize, undermine. There are risks in the future that you'll be afraid to not try new things, that you might take that same critical approach with others for whom you are holding a high standard, Mm -hmm. such as your future supervisees. And if you don't address it, you're leaving that person vulnerable to remaining insecure, which can be one of the main things that interferes with development of therapeutic and professional relationships. So if you do see that, uh, don't avoid it. Don't just describe it and then say, oh, well, that's just how they are. That is how they behave and probably have for a while. And at least talking about the need to move the needle on that and a few strategies that might help with it, I think are an important part of being a responsible supervisor. I agree. I think similarly, if you detect that someone is globally overconfident, uh, that, you know, that there are significant benefits to that. You're someone who probably isn't getting, is going to engage in a lot of behavior, which is great. You're putting yourself out there. You're taking opportunities that also can, you know, get you into a jam. If you're doing things that your skills don't quite back up, it can be damaging in therapeutic relationships. So similarly, um, you as a consulting supervisor or a new supervisor would be doing a disservice if you didn't just say like, Hey, I love that you, um, you know, that you present yourself in this 
confident fashion and that is a great thing let's talk about the benefits of that let's also talk about some of the ways that you might want to be mindful of how that impacts the listener and how that could impact you and your skill set um so it doesn't have to be a to your point linda take you down a, a peg or let me tell you how mean you are to yourself it's just sort of as you said these this is your behavioral repertoire, know about it so you can maximize the benefits and you can protect from some of the areas where you could have some negative impacts. Like you want to be in control of those things, not passive to what otherwise we might frame as, oh, that's just my, my characteristics or my personality, right? It's all behavior. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, I think this is the point at which the new supervisor is really laying out there. Here are the goals. Here are the skills to work on first. Here are the skills to work on next. And then turning those goals into teaching plans and competency assessments. And, um, you know, I always love to hear you talk a little bit about when you're thinking about developing a competency, thinking about what the person is going to actually need to do. Don't make it so academic as if the only thing that matters is whether they can answer a multiple choice question. (laughs) What are the, all the things that they need to have as intact repertoires with respect to some skill, procedure, decision-making skill, what have you. Will you talk a little bit about that notion of being able to do it, talk about it, describe it, et cetera? Yeah. I mean, the more and more I've thought about and talked about this, it really just boils down to having a very clear understanding of how an individual needs to use knowledge and or skills in the terminal context. So think into the future. So if if you think about coursework, preparing um, someone to be able to answer those multiple choice questions correctly on an exam, your fieldwork experience, those are the things that are supposed to prepare you to answer the things correctly with a client or a caregiver or another trainee in the real environment. So really just everything should be driven by those terminal goals. Again, this is exactly the same thing that we do with clients. Even with a three-year-old, we don't just think, what do I need this kid to do uh, to be as independent and have as much quality of, of life in the next six months? We're thinking when they're 18 as well, right? We ought to be thinking like in the terminal environment with whatever context would be appropriate and whatever distractors, disruptors would be likely to occur, how would they need to use this skill? With what audiences, to what degree of accuracy? You know, we don't have to be 100% with everything. There are some things, if you ask me about or to demonstrate, I would need to go to an article or a book chapter, refresh a little bit before I wrote a procedure or demonstrated it, And there are other things that if you ask me at any point in time, like here, run an MSWO. Sure, I could do that. No, I could do that anywhere. That's fine. So think about those sorts of um, parameters when you're thinking about your competencies. That's what I have to say about that. Um, And it is true that in month three, the new supervisor is really working on 
paralleling the process that the consulting supervisor modeled to plan out the coming months for or year for their trainees, what those goals are going to look like, what those specific fine-tuned competencies are going to look like. And they're going to do that collaboratively with their trainees because, you know, their trainees also know what's relevant and applicable and what will maybe make their life easier in their direct work if they, you know, had mastered certain skills and things like that. So yeah, um, you certainly are, are making that plan for your trainees. Yep. And as a consulting supervisor, just remember, teach it, don't tell it. BST, <laughs> show them a written out competency of here's the topic, here are all these little skills I want to check on. And I would expect these two to be intact before these other ones. So that's what I'm going to work on. Yep. And I'm not just going to test them on it. I'm going to probe and teach them about it and show them and then test. And then testing means I'm going to have to have a way to score whether what they've done is acceptable. That could be somewhat informal, like their answer to an example should have the following characteristics. Or it could be, here are the eight steps, and I want to make sure they do each one correctly. So, um, you know, it's just so easy when we are dealing with smart, capable people to think we don't really need to do BST, that we can just kind of talk about it and then (laughs) ta-da, you know, now everybody knows, except, you know, our data don't support that. Even the studies on teaching um, staff how to do preference assessment suggests that with instructions and modeling, you get a bump in performance, but you do not get criterion level implementation performance until you add in some rehearsal and feedback. And so it's a great opportunity for that consulting supervisor to find an example of a written competency show it to them, explain the parts and what it's there for, and then maybe have that new supervisor draft one for a different skill to get them working on thinking about what is it they need to know and do, and how will I know that it meets a criterion? Yes. And at some point, the new supervisor is going to have to do that with their trainees. Now, I wouldn't recommend doing that right out of the gate when you're just introducing the competencies. But, you know, maybe midway through your supervisory relationship, you have to start preparing them to become supervisors. So you're going to have to go back to remember when we first started introducing competencies and then model effectively what Linda just described the consulting supervisor modeled for that new supervisor. Um, so yeah, it's sort of just, again, that infinity loop, right? Where we have these interlocking contingencies. So the other thing that the trainees need to prep is to continue to talk about agendas, talk about the importance of agendas, maybe start identifying a portion that the trainee can take over and own starting in month four. For example, it might be the client specific section where the trainee is going to go in and put in, oh, I want to talk about these two clients or this program. Um, And then you're also going to continue your discussion of culturally responsive and humble practices, both in your supervisory practices and in clinical work for your trainees. 
Um, and then you're going to be prepping to solicit some formal feedback from your trainee. And you want to prep that ahead of time, give it to your consulting supervisor to look over. But this is going to be an opportunity to get some more structured early on feedback that you're going to repeat later on in your experience with your trainees. And so this sort of becomes your baseline by which you can start evaluating the effects of your supervision, which as behavior analysts, we should all do, but we're also called to do that um, in our ethics code, right? So this first formal feedback form that you're going to deliver will become your baseline and allow you to kind of measure against it throughout the relationship. Absolutely. If evaluating your supervision is only a good thing to do, it's on my list of stuff you best be doing. You gotta do it. You gotta do it. So, you know, there are a lot of tasks that the new supervisor has to do. I mentioned you're going to repeat your workload assessment. You're going to compare that to your past um, assessments. You're going to do your trainee curricular roadmap and competencies you're going to have to do that end of month reflection again and think about what went well with my trainees. What didn't go well? How do I know in both cases? How am I going to leverage my consulting supervisor to address any areas of need that I've identified in my next opportunity to meet with them or what things went really well? And here's something you should start doing. And you know what? We don't even have this specifically written in the workbooks, Linda, but it just occurred to me if I were a new supervisor and I were reflecting on the things that went well and how did I know, likely some of those are going to become, uh, came directly from my interactions with my consulting supervisor. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're using these workbooks, I invite you as the new supervisor to maybe put a star next to the things that you can then offer in gratitude to your consulting supervisor. You can say, you know, I was really nervous about talking about culturally responsive practices. Uh, I used some of the scripts. I just pulled the language that you used with me and I used it as, as a script and it went really well. And I want to thank you for that. And thank you for modeling that, that for me. Um, and even from the consulting supervisor, they may find things throughout their interactions that they want to deliver in gratitude to the new supervisor. Thank you for this example or this opportunity or what have you. Gratitude is free and is so such a potent reinforcer for both parties. And so anytime your self-reflection leads you to that point, take action and yes. uh, bring a little brightness to someone else's uh, world. Well, yeah. we're getting towards the end of this podcast, but I did want to mention that there are always suggestions in the new supervisor workbook about things you could do in your community of practice. Yes. Number one, start to build one, yeah. find a buddy, find a friend, talk about this stuff, talk about the fact that it's hard. But the last item on the list for community of practice is one that we'll be talking about more in the future. And that is discuss your self-care activities yep. and set goals for stress management and self-care. We've um, introduced this idea of the foundational and advanced supervision repertoires. And there is a section on managing time, stress, and uh, wellness. Mm -hmm. And that is not an incidental part of your professional repertoire and your supervisory repertoire. 
And so the sooner, you know, we start thinking about um, explicitly accepting responsibility to manage our stress and to insert those positive activities into our life, the better off we'll be and the more likely we'll be to support and coach others that we supervise to do the same thing. So that's kind of my favorite item on the community of practice list of stuff to start talking about. I really love that too. My other favorite is sharing competency-based tasks and activities because y'all, it takes a lot of time to make all this stuff. So divide and conquer, and that can be an act of self-care and caring for your colleagues, right? Sharing is caring. That is right. Sharing is caring both for the other person and for yourself. So we're just going to We're going to blend those two together, um, do great stuff, do great stuff collaboratively and take care of yourself. The end. The (laughs) end. Absolutely. So join us um, for the next episode and we will have a special guest. More information coming soon. Bye everyone.